I'm about to blow your flipping mind, <laughs> and I'm about to mess up your theology too real quick. The Bible needs emojis. That's all I'm going to say. That's the right. Bible needs emojis. It would help me so much. When we finally go to glory and we're being welcomed into heaven, he is not going to look at us and say, well done, my good and famous servant. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful. When do people start calling you pastor? It ultimately revealed a false motive in my heart. Rather than trying to pastor people, I wanted people to call me pastor. So literally the door holder's job at the at, at in the house of God was to check <laughs> if you were circumcised upon entering the house of God. He literally had to go, excuse me, sir. All right, you're good. <laughs> come on in. Oh, not you. You can come back later. There's a surgeon down the road. <laughs> Usually, if anyone's like me, I check my phone first thing in the morning. You do? For, for the most part. So if you look up Kenan's on YouTube, Kenan's productivity hack of, or the productivity hack of a pastor YouTube like clickbait thumbnail title. Clickbait thumbnail right yeah, there. Yeah, right. Yours is not going to be the most ideal to follow. No. Checking phone first thing. Checking phone first thing. <laughs> yeah, I break all the rules. They say like you're not supposed to check phone first. I, they say that. Yeah. For dopamine. Exactly. Oh, here we go. All dopamine. All dopamine. That's all I, that's all I know how to talk about is dopamine um, because I am on an endless search for it. Because that's all I want. That's all I it's, want. Just, it's just the next just dopamine. Another hit. Lord, please. No, dude. Yeah, you know, pumped to be here. I guess we're rolling right now. Just the you know the vibe. You know how you're you're second time on. You know how. Yeah. It goes. No, I'm a I'm a I'm a veteran at this point. So it, we're turning the page on Kingdom Vision. Three mics. Three microphones. This is a historic day. I mean, you quite literally are putting your money where your mouth is. That's hey. what you're doing. That's a bar. I was going to ask you first thing, actually. You're one-liners, okay? They just come to me. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and beat <laughs> you to <laughs> They just come to me. Dude, How long do you work on those? No, I was about at yesterday at church. He goes, uh, what did you say? Uh, rigorous revelations are... Uh, when you were at the, the theology heavy school. Revies. Heavy revies. Heavy revies. Heavy yeah, revies. That's, yeah. That's, a, that's a thing. That's a L- it's an older LC, one. LCU. He goes, I was, I was, I, I was in yeah, class writing down the notes, writing down one. them heavy, nevi, uh, heavy revies. I was yeah. like, do you prepare for these? No, I don't. Are they don't. off the head? Some of them is, it's just because I quite literally am steeped in just Christian culture. Right. Um, and, you know, my favorite pastime is listening to sermons and preachers. Like, I'm a student of the craft of communicating. Um you know, God's word. I've by no means considered myself an expert on, you know, the topic or anything like that. But a lot of that, you just kind of like, you end up kind of creating this little bit of an archive and a word yeah. bank and a phrase bank. And Another so one you do it is just gets there. When you, I think you get so much like at, at those like Christian schools, those yeah. church schools. Cause when I was at LCU, it was like, you get sick of it. Like you're yeah, like no, so sure. many like cult Christian culture, mm-hmm. like Christianese. What yes. is, yeah. but it's, it's, it's funny too. Cause then it's like, we're not all too serious about it. And we're yes, like, you know, but some of it, yeah, like it's just, it makes for great Christian humor. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, you can whip it out and, and hit those people. <laughs> exactly. But it's one of those things. Like sometimes it also can get in the way, you know, cause it's like, Oh, you, are you trying to sound profound right now? Or are you trying to like be uh, right. ooh, Mr. Smooth Communicator? Yeah. Um, and so I have to watch it. Sometimes I will purposefully not say something that's alliterated or like it rhymes right, in right. order yeah. to make sure that my genuine heart is being seen, if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, like a smooth transition from story to sermon point mm-hmm. when it's like yeah, too, it's important. like it's too cheese sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
when you never hit when you never get there like that's it's not good. but i think for too, sure your your dad's always been a, like he's always done stories so yeah i think that i, I think you have honestly. a yeah i think he kind of like comes by honestly you've been around yeah, it a lot, yeah without a doubt it's definitely just a, a part of my dna at this point and i love it but yeah a lot of the one-liners some of those things just literally pop in my head like my brain at this point works almost you're in just, one-liners you're just a funny guy i think um <laughs> you know i just got personality I, yeah i think so like even whenever i was 12 and like people go th- i mean i did go through a very physically awkward stage but um you know, most people like they can't make adults laugh at twelve. Like adults are just sitting there rolling their eyes. I could make adults laugh at twelve and thirteen. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think I've... honestly that's one thing that you were good at too. Your storytelling ability. Yeah, that's like telling telling funny stories, recapping things at twelve, making you know aunts and uncles laugh. That's yeah. one thing he was pretty good at too. But I want to ask your first the first for, like serious question. Yeah, let's go. I, from last time, people are coming back to watching this episode uh, from from last week, and they're mm-hmm. seeing Kenan Clark, and they see you. I want you to give more of a deep dive into your personal life and give okay. people a better understanding of who you are by a struggle you've had in your faith, okay, and ha- what that struggle was, mm-hmm. and how you overcame it, and then maybe like broad applications yeah. and, and tips to people like how to overcome hard things in the faith yeah. in general yeah so that's i think i really nailed honestly maybe one of the biggest and most sincere struggles i've had i kind of covered on the last episode yeah chasing feelings you know and associating a, a genuine move of the presence of god true, with yeah. endorphins and serotonin and dopamine yeah and so that was like I, i'm being 100 percent honest when i say i mean that's why i teared up i cannot cry on command like in the video i tear up and stuff and it's like because that's been like a real battle for me the fight of my life is what i call yeah. it but i think other ones have been like for me i think sometimes especially when i was younger and i first started feeling the call to preach i first started feeling the call to be and do something significant for God. You know, I would struggle with feeling like I was calling myself to that. Like I really battled that of like, Keenan, mm-hmm. of course you think you're going to reach millions. Like who wouldn't want to do that? You know? And then I would have that thing of like, what if God just calls me to serve in a soup kitchen in Indonesia for the rest of my life? Yeah. And, you, and I think you do have to answer those questions and go, if for whatever reason God was to call me to do that, would I do that if he called me to? Yes. But God hardwires you for what he's called you to do. It's true. Right? And so I think, you know, one of the, I was in a, it was like not something somebody said to me just personally, but I was in a, a big corporate meeting. It was like a big church service. And the guy was up on the microphone and I was really struggling with this. Like, God, like, am I really called to preach? Like, am I really... Are you going to use me? I'm from the sticks of West Texas, dude. I mean, wait, we don't have grass. We have sticks. Okay, we're tumbleweeds. literally tumbleweeds. We're literally from the sticks. I'm like, God, could you really, would you really want to raise up somebody like me? And all of a sudden, I was dealing with that battle in my, just internally. I had not vocalized it. And the guy gets on, on the microphone, and he says, you know what? I feel like I need to say this. The dream you have in your heart is God's dream for you. Hmm. He said, I don't know who that's for in this room. I'm 27 right now. I remember that moment vividly because I was the person he was talking to. Mm -hmm. And he said, the dream you, somebody's dealing with worrying if the dream you have in your heart is actually God given. He said, rest assuredly tonight, the dream you have in your heart is God's dream for you. 
And I kind of just took that as my green light and I ran with it. Now, that doesn't mean that the questions didn't come back. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the insecurities didn't come back. That doesn't mean that who the heck am I? It, it wasn't just a flip of a switch. No. I'm Pastor Keenan now. There was a growing No, no. Growing uh, yeah. And I remember struggling with like, you know, finding my identity in a title. Mm-hmm. Of like, like feeling like I needed to be called Pastor Keenan in order to be something significant. I mean, just really practically, I remember asking my dad one time, like, "Hey, Dad, uh, when do people start calling you Pastor?" It's a good question. I did, you know, and but it was, it ultimately revealed a false motive in my heart because rather than trying to pastor people, I wanted people to call me Pastor if that makes sense. And so, and my dad, like, lovingly, he did his, like, Mr. Miyagi thing on me where he, like, leads me somewhere, but I don't realize I'm being led somewhere. And he, um, he, if you don't know the Karate Kid, like, please pause this video and go watch the Karate Kid, the original, the original, um, to know who Mr. Miyagi is. Um, But he looks at me and he says, Keenan, let me ask you this. He said, do people ask for your insights on the scriptures? I was like, yeah, yeah, they do. He said, people, do people come up to you and just ask for like your advice and your guidance, like on what they should do in life and like a, a, a situation they should navigate? I was like, yeah, that happens. He's like, they're calling you pastor by mm. doing that. He's right. like, they may not say, Pastor Keenan, what are your thoughts on this situation I'm walking through? But by doing that, by coming up and asking for your insights, they're calling you pastor. He's like, that's, that's a sign that you're operating in your calling. And I was like, wow, I never, never thought of it that way. Yeah. And that really kind of put some of those, those things to bed in me. And then honestly, through that, the Holy Spirit showed me how I was truly just in those moments chasing a title versus chasing the opportunity to operate in what I was called to operate in. Does that make sense? It so does, I think definitely. some of these things, like it really does come back to Motive. You know, motive, and which is what we talked about a lot last time. You know, that whole thing we talked about, you know, that James calls demonic, you know, selfishness and jealousy, you know, all of those things. It selfish re- ambition. Selfish ambition. I mean, it really does come back to I am trying to serve my own end rather than serving the end of the Lord, rather than serving the thing and the vision that he has, you know, the kingdom which, vision he has for my life. <laughs> I had to slip that which, in. Again, I know you have some questions that Brandon brought some questions, but you're, you're you're talking about something. What I was wanting to talk to you about, if it ever came up, mm-hmm. was what you're talking about right now. Oh. So I'm just gonna jump in and talk about it. But yeah, go. Um, a lot of like talking about leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Leadership mm-hmm. in the church. We look at leadership outside in, in the world. We look at somebody who has that it factor, oh, yeah. the uh, the Kobe Bryant mentality type, the um, Mamba mentality, Mamba mentality, kind of like. Let's just take that picture. I'll leave it there and just then say leadership in the church. Yeah. The picture is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, like your power, God, is perfected in my weaknesses, right? So I guess I'll just leave it broad there talking about, I I just think when we we have that approach of we see, like especially members in a church, we see, okay, this is what our corporate leaders look like. This is what the leaders in sports look like, leader in the cultures look like. Mm. And we expect them to look like that in our church too, which having, you know, charismatic like i would say you're a charismatic guy you're you're a popular guy you are all these things which is not innately a bad thing but when we right. make these the ultimate things yeah, the and what we look for in our leaders yes we're setting ourselves up for toxic cultures yes so just go into leadership i guess I believe and, it's acts chapter six hold on a second let me get there you're gonna edit this part out so. <laughs> um something that uh yep, was taught to us so much at, at lc was that if 
you you can understand yourself or, or see yourself as a strong Christian leader whenever strong Christians recognize you as a strong Christian leader, right? Yeah. Like Paul was recognized. They understood. Like there's a reason for that. You know, these people, whenever other Christians around you that hear God and have, have wisdom, yes. and then they, they see you as that, they see you, see you as that leader, then it's a good sign. Like it's a, t- it's a telling sign, you know. Yeah. It's a but, testament for your faithfulness exactly. in a way. Yeah. Exactly. I think, you know, our, our innate... I don't know. It's something within us. We we naturally look for superstars. We do. Like, that's just who we are. Um, and, and many of us, like, especially in the church, if we're not careful, we'll turn into, you know, scouting agents and talent agents rather than looking for, you know, the character traits of God within people. Right. You know, and so we look for the person who can sing incredibly. We look for the person who's naturally charismatic and they can gather a room, they garner attention. You know, people just naturally flock to them. And those things could be telling of a call on someone's life. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you don't have That's that what, by yeah. accident. But if there isn't the character to back that up, I mean, your gift will make room for you, but your character will keep you in the room. If that yeah. makes sense, like mm-hmm. your gift will sh- open a door, but only character can push you through it. Right. And uh, I, I just see that so often. I was checking just because I didn't want to give a false reference, but Acts chapter six, um, there are these p- disgruntled people who, who, obviously, this is the early days of the church. There's some disgruntled people because their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. So they come to the apostles and they're like, hey, what's up with this? Our widows aren't getting fed, which is pretty messed up. You know, like they need to be fed. Mm. And the apostles go, man, there's just so much on our plate, no mm-hmm. pun intended, but there's so much on our plate. <laughs> the one-liners, like, there's one-liners right there. It just comes to me, Lord, please stop. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's this like, they're like, we really have too much to do. Um, you know, and we really need to be devoting our time to the preaching of God's word, to the uh, public ministry that we're called to. So they say this, let's select seven different men so that they can handle this mm-hmm. responsibility of waiting on tables. It's essentially this responsibility. And notice this, they selected different men and they said this, they were pleased in the gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. But notice this, this is Stephen. Where's the other descriptor? It says this, okay, yeah, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint this task to. The task is waiting on tables, and they need men full of the spirit and wisdom to do this task. I would think the only requirement in order to wait on tables is, do you got two arms? Can you be at the job site on time? Like, can you, you know, write down an order? But they're like, no, this is not less spiritual than what we are doing. They need the Holy Spirit and they need wisdom, even when it just comes to serving tables. Whether you're preparing a sermon or you're preparing soup, you need the Holy Spirit. Really what it is, is I was reading a book and it was talking about this leader is going to propel us into the the wider evangelical world of conferences, books, And this culture to where we can be known. Yes. That our leader will then, and then our church will rise to this area to top, of recognition. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think it that that's the end all be all. And again, churches that are recognized and powerful and their influence are not negative things. No, but no. what really what the problem is, is the churches who have 50 members. Mm-hmm. The churches like Matt Keller, a guy I've had on the podcast before. He's just going to be a senior pastor in New Mexico and his church is going to be 75 members. Wow. But that man is one of the most faithful 
preachers and pastors I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. But direct influence and large numbers don't dictate your success Mm -hmm. as a pastor. Yeah. And that's why Jesus says, you know, at the end of the day, when we finally go to glory and we're being welcomed into heaven, he is not going to look at us and say, well done, my good and famous servant. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You may have never been known on earth, mm-hmm. but I, you were known by me. Come into your rest. That's what he's going to say. And that's, that's what it's good. about. It's about being faithful. And, you know, the Bible says this. Um, if you can be faithful over little, you will be faithful over much. To who, you know, little has been trusted and you've been a good steward of that, much will be given. So we should expect God to increase. But the heart is if this is all I ever get, if it's these four and no more for the rest of my life, I'm called to just pour my life into these four knuckleheads. I'm going to do it. I mean, Jesus started with 12 followers and he's the most influential person who has literally ever walked the face of the planet. Who Mm -hmm. are we to discount ourselves? And here's one last thing. And then I, I know we're kind of belaboring this point, but this hit me so hard recently. I was reading, um, the story of Jesus feeding the multitude, right? So Jesus feeds the multitude. In the story, the disciples are freaking out um, that they don't have enough food, right? So Jesus says, you know, like, start getting them, sit them down in groups. And the Bible says this, that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. So the crowd's bigger than 5,000. But they counted the men. That's who they counted. And notice who had the five loaves and two fish. A little boy. One of the children that did not get counted. Their answer was found in a place they didn't even deem worthy of being counted. A kid who didn't even count was the one who had the solution. And so some of us, we can think because we don't have a big following, because we don't have a ton of influence, nobody else counts me in, then I must not count for much. But what you have been given by God, if you will fork it over to Jesus, will become enough for all the people who counted you out. Ah, That hit me so hard. The kid who didn't get counted had the answer. Maybe you have an answer and you're overlooking it Yeah, many times. And, I mean, you look at, at Jesus, his life, he starts with 12. He gets to, you know, 12,000 because right. of, you know, you, you figure there's 5,000 men. So there's probably 10, 12,000 people, Without right? Doubt. There's about 12,000 people. And that after his conversation about drinking my, yes. my blood and eating my flesh, Cannibal. it dwindles down, right? Yeah. And in the end, how many left is there really? It ends True. up being about three right. that are with him to the to the to bitter the end. end. And then when he comes back, obviously, then they, they see and revelation hits, right? Yeah. But that shows you, you know, purpose. Purpose mm-hmm. over over follower count or, or whatever. Like, it's it's all about him and and what he's doing, you know? I don't know. I just think that... You see that success, especially in church, can it's so easily tied with with people and 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 views and who's 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 coming, who's whatever. Yeah. But the church is for God first, and then God is for people, right? Mm-hmm. So if the church is for God, then we'll have the right heart for people instead Without of trying to manipulate people into God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if it's first for people, we'll miss it. If it's first for God, then we'll get it right. You know what I mean? Luke chapter 6, excuse me, uh, and verse 16. So Luke is going through naming all the disciples whom Jesus called, and it says this. It names Judas last, and this is what it says of him. Um, And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So he didn't originate as one. Became one over time, that he wasn't a traitor all along. 
that over time he eventually became a trader. And my question is, who are you becoming? Mm -hmm. That's a question you got to ask yourself. Judas, I don't think, started off in the wrong place. He obviously followed Jesus for a reason. And especially when Jesus was first calling the disciples into himself, Jesus didn't have this huge enterprise. Jesus wasn't this super well-known guy at that point. Mm -hmm. He was still this crazy dude walking the shores of the Sea of Galilee, just picking these random Joe Blows out, saying, hey, come follow me. And Judas saw something in Jesus that made him answer that call. And it wasn't that his purse was full of money. It wasn't that his, you know, name was, you know, really reputable and I I can ride his coattails. There was something inside of Judas that Jesus called to. But over time, Judas did not steward the opportunity he was given. And I would say this, you know, one of the things that gives me a lot of peace as a pastor, it grieves me when I see people under my care, my leadership twist off and they go astray. They end up in sin or they end up walking Mm -hmm. away from the faith or they go through a rough season. And I can take that as I failed them Mm -hmm. as their pastor. Like if they're under my care, they should never walk through anything bad. Like I should, I should be able to prevent that. I should, I should, maybe I should have preached harder on that. Maybe I should have, you know, brought out some more Bible on that. It's my fault. And listen to me, even Jesus had a disciple who twisted off. Even Jesus couldn't keep Judas from becoming Judas because Judas wouldn't be honest that he was Judas. Judas hid his Judasness from Jesus because Jesus can't heal what you don't reveal. Jesus can't Come on. restore what you ignore. Second Corinthians and, 12. Yes, exactly. It, what I talked about yesterday, God can't break chains you won't admit you're in. Mm-hmm. You, he's too much of a gentleman for that. You have to admit, God, this is where I'm in. This is where I'm, I'm, wh- what I'm in and where I'm at. And God will move in and he will be the chain breaker, but you are the choice maker. And Judas made a choice to not let the chain breaker in. He had he had the best tutor at his disposal and the best accountability group there ever was, the apostles. And yeah, yet he bro. still kept his his stuff a secret. I think there's something pro- so profound to knowing this person is getting the best of me, and I'm going to allow him to. Yeah, I'm. A, that is pre-forgiveness. That's I've already forgiven you before you do your action. That's a whole nother level, a whole nother step. You know what I mean? Um, and that's just, that's profound to me about everything with Judas. And, and, but what you said, like, like understanding it's not me that does the work in, in someone's heart. Exactly. Right. It is Jesus in them and mm-hmm. their own free will as well. It's their own, their own choice. Doubt. But <clears throat> stewarding that is, is, I got, I got, incredibly a, important as well. I got a question for you. I want to start this one off. I'm gonna ask. Okay, I'm gonna ask a question to you. I'm gonna keep it broad. If you need me to read my Bible verse, I, I'll read it. But I'll, okay. I'll start off with the question. A lot of people make this statement. Anytime they go through trials and they go through hard times, they say, "I mean, God, God's testing me right now. Yeah, God is God is putting me through a trial right now." And and rightfully so. That could be accurate. Right. But what do you think when you say does like does God test us? And to what extent does he test us and right. things like that? Yeah, the Bible speaks of God testing us. Yeah. But I think our—the problem is is we are so conditioned to expect failure out of ourselves that we look at tests as opportunities to fail. Like, so God's giving me an opportunity to fail. Mm-hmm. That's, not what, that's not why God tests you. God only whips out a test when he knows you are more than equipped— for the test. Yeah. And a, a, a test is an opportunity to level up, not an opportunity to fail. 
because it's not like we, you know, oh, if you didn't, you know, you didn't do this, then you're going to bounce. You know, it's not like Spy Kids 3. We got to bounce you back to level (laughs) one. You know, that's not what this is. You know, it's an opportunity to advance. It's an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. It really is an opportunity. God is giving you the opportunity to see that you've learned more than you thought, that Mm -hmm. you've actually got some of this. You know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm reading Luke and it's talking about it, but um, Jesus sends the disciples out with nothing. He says, don't take a sword. Don't take a second pair of clothes. Don't take a tunic. Don't take money, a money bag. And then when they go out, they come back and he said, what was it like, boys? Yeah. And they go, we had everything we needed. Yeah. The demons ran from us. They trembled in our presence because of the power that you had given us. He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't celebrate that the demons know who you are. Celebrate that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And was was it a test to see if they would pass or fail? No, it was a test so that they could see Mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, they got it. They have it. It's that they don't got to wait until Jesus is no longer, you know, with them. They've got it here and now. And uh, even the good thing is, is that whenever finally the demoniac boy who, you know, was throwing himself in the fire, throwing himself in the river, the the, the disciples couldn't do anything about that one. And, yeah. and the Bible says so. Like the dad comes up and he's like, I tried to get your disciples to cast this demon out, but they were unable to. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, this, you know, with the first generation, he's like, you know, how long are you going to need me? He said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. And I honestly just take a brief caveat. I think that's why we're seeing suicide at an all-time high, because that's what the boy was dealing with. He had a spirit of suicide. Mm, It wasn't just a demonic spirit. It was a a spirit of self-mutilation, a spirit that was trying to hurt him or kill him. And right Mm. now we are seeing suicide at an all-time high. You know why? Because the church prays, but the church don't fast. And Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, which let me know, evidently, Jesus had been fasting because he was able to deal with that demon. And so whenever, whatever you're not ready for, Jesus is ready for, but he's giving you the opportunity to, to get ready for it in the future. So I see tests as an opportunity to see that God has put more in you than you think, um, rather than let an me, opportunity to fail. Let me read this verse to you. I was yeah, reading read this, praying. It's Matthew 15, 22 through 28. This is so profound to me, and I want you to unpack it because oh, it may Lord. be a little controversial. Or I honestly have a question about it, but and behold, yeah. Matthew 15, verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying. Canaanite, uh, Gentile, yep. Gentile woman, not an Israelite, not a Jew. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word, just ignored her. And his disciples came out and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. His disciples were even saying, hey, send her off. She's, she's I don't want to say borderline annoying us, but like, send her off. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it out to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. When I read this, that's why I asked the original question, does God test us? Because it seemed as though Jesus was testing her faith. Mm -hmm. And her faith was so great. She's like, like even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off of the higher estate, the, the master's table. Like that's how low uh, I'll go. Or I that's how a, much. I have a take on this. If please go. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> I believe that Jesus tests us 
faith-based tests, right? And the point is to increase our faith, right? Yes. Whenever, how did he test Abraham with Abraham and Isaac? Yeah. How does he test the disciples every time he has a test, right? It's always testing their faith. I'm so less into God tempts us. Like uh, James talks about, God doesn't never say God, God doesn't you. Yeah, tempt. The Bible says like you people think that people think that this you know this uh, girl comes out of a skimpy outfit and it's like oh God sent in this. No, that is not like that's so off yeah, base. Yeah, yeah, it's so off base and messed up, right? I don't think he ever tempts, but I think he tests faith faith wise. You can see all throughout Scripture where he's he's wants to increase your faith by testing it. Yeah, right. He's like, really? This like, are you sure this is what you're into? Like, whenever whenever what do you think Jesus was doing to the disciples whenever, like I uh, talked about earlier, whenever he says, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood, what do you think he's doing to the disciples? He's testing their faith mm-hmm. in him, yeah. right? Because then he then he asks uh, Peter, like, what do you think of me? You know what I mean? Those yeah. are These are faith tests, and he consistently is pulling on it. You know, he's pulling on us. He's pulling on us, and it's to increase and, and cement us and ground us in, in the truth, like, For sure. even more. No, I think you're spot on. Um, with that, I think it's always about faith. It's always, I mean, because that's the that's the that's the greatest thing. I mean, the Bible literally says it's impossible to please God without it. So that's the thing that God cares about the most. Back to your story, this moment with the Canaanite woman. You know, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus in this moment, quite literally, is not there for Gentiles. He's yeah. trying to build his ministry through the Jews because he came first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But he was not letting everyone know the Gentiles are one day going to get in on this. That was what Paul was going to announce, mm-hmm. right? Because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. So Jesus is like, right now, in this particular moment, this stuff that I'm doing, this healing that I'm bringing is only available to the children of Israel. But then all of a sudden, this little Canaanite weasel of a woman... <laughs> she caught a glimpse mm-hmm. of who he really was. Mm-hmm. She caught a glimpse of the greater narrative. And she goes, yep. somehow, she's, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how, but she saw, this is bigger than you're letting on. Mm-hmm. And I know one day, I, I can tell. You may not be saying it, but I see your heart, Jesus. Your heart's bigger than just the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. One day we're going to get in on this. And Jesus goes, Dad, gum it, you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say that's the Keenan Clark version. But, you know, he says... Yeah. All right. If you can, if you got faith enough to see that far into the future, so I got faith enough to let you into that future. Yeah, your your so daughter's good. healed right now. And sometimes I think Jesus is like, "How good do you really think I am?" It's that, you know you, what I mean. He's like testing. Like, do you really think I'm that good? Mm-hmm. All right. If you do, I have, I have, I have enough. You know, if you have enough faith to believe I'm that good, I have enough. You know, goodness to let you in on that goodness. You know. Yeah. So I think you know it's Matthew seven eleven. You know, if you therefore being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who just ask? The easy way to remember that is Matthew seven eleven. Where do you go when you want something from God? Seven eleven. Now you're preaching. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> it's seven eleven, baby. But God's good. And that's what it, he's always testing us. How good do you really believe I am? And that's mm-hmm. that the Canaanite woman is a is a prime picture of that. I think there's a lot of people in the world right now that are too cool for Jesus. Oh, yeah. And what I mean by that, looking silly in front of people. Yeah, for right? sure. So that Canaanite woman, like the reason where I was going with that Canaanite woman, she's like begging at the feet of Jesus, begging, like mm-hmm. putting yourself in that position of weakness in front of somebody. Mm-hmm. 
people like to feel built up mm. in this life today. And I want to read another verse. This is Matthew 20, verses 29 to 32. It says, And two blind men were outside of the city of Jericho, and they were sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was pa- uh, passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Mm-hmm. The crowd started rebuking them. Shh. Stop, 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 stop. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And then Jesus stopped, called out, said, why do you want me to heal? What do you want me to do for you? And they want their eyes healed and Jesus healed them. But that, mm-hmm. the thing that really points out to me is these people are like, like, why are you making a ruckus? Why, like, why are you doing all that? Like, you're looking silly in front of other people. But they were just crying out, Jesus, mm-hmm. heal me. Yeah. Despite... 12 there's a it's at a crowd that's anywhere from like 5 to f- 20 30 people mm-hmm. in spite like they were they were willing to look foolish in front of a handful of people yeah. to get healed by jesus or just to talk to jesus yeah. you can't worship at the feet of jesus while you're still worshiping at worshiping at the altar of self-preservation you can't you cannot worship yeah. the lord while you are still worshiping at the altar of self-preservation you can your knees can only be in one place at one time you can't have your knees be over here worshiping your own image and be at the feet of Jesus getting healed. Eventually, you've got to get off the altar of self-preservation and walk yourself over, weep your way to a bloody cross and say, Jesus, come hell or high water, I want you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how stupid I am. I mean, the Bible says that the Lord uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That mm-hmm. God loves it when we're willing to risk our reputation because we're so confident in His. That's what He loves, and I think you're I think you're spot on. I mean, sometimes it does take looking silly. You know, silly is such a silly word, but it does take being willing to get over yourself. I mean, God can't God can't do anything as long as you're not over you yet. Mm-hmm. You know, you really can't get fully into Him if you're not over you. And sometimes the very first step in taking a step into him is getting over you and saying, God, like, I'm really not that cool. You know, my backwards hat, my my, my little whatever, yeah. you know, it doesn't really add much to my value. In fact, it, it probably just brings it down a bit. Lord, <laughs> I get all my value from you. And um, people don't people don't see that. You know, the, I see this. This is a very big truth in Scripture. You know, you can't be too bad to go to heaven but you can be too good to go to heaven. Yeah. It's, it's true. Yeah, you can't be too bad, but you can be too good. What I mean by that is you're trusting in your own goodness. Yeah. Anybody pride. who will admit, yeah, pride. And anybody who will admit they're horrible and they're a sinner and that they need the forgiveness of Jesus, yeah, like I don't care how bad it is. You can't be too bad, mm-hmm. but you can be too good. And the older brother in the story of the prodigal son is a prime portrait yes. of that. And that's why I love the prodigal son because Jesus allows the story to fade to black and never tells us if the older brother comes into the party. Because to prove, you can't be too bad, but you can be too good. Please tell that story if you don't mind. The prodigal son? Yeah, a summary. Yeah, just basically the, there's two boys. They're, they have a gracious dad. The dad you know, has this inheritance, and the younger brother is basically a knucklehead, and he looks his dad square in the face, and he says, give me my money now, which is literally telling the dad, I wish you were dead, because you didn't get your your inheritance until your father passed away. So he's like, unfortunately, you're in too good a health and I don't want to wait around for you to croak. Uh, Give me my money now. And the dad is wildly gracious and gives him the money. So the long story short is the son uses the money to live prodigally. The word prodigal means wasteful. 
who uses his money to live prodigally, wasted on whatever, frivolous living, whatever, give him a hit of dopamine, release his serotonin, got to work it in there. Um, <laughs> but he finds himself running out of money, and when he runs out of money, the economy crashes. They literally find themselves in a famine, so yeah. he finds himself taking a job slopping pigs, which this is no doubt a Jewish boy in the story. He is not to have anything to do with pigs, yet he takes a job mm. slopping pigs. Now he has not only turned his back on his earthly father, he has turned his back on his heavenly father. So he takes the job slopping pigs, eventually is so hungry that he, he thinks to himself, you know what, my dad's hired servants have it better than this. This is a detail of the story I never realized until recently. The entire country's in a famine, Mm-hmm. And there's only one place that has bread, mm-hmm. and it's the, the house. father's house. He's like, mm-hmm. and nobody got bread but dad. Even yeah. when the whole country's in ruin, dad's house still has enough. I'm here to tell you, your, your, your answer is in the house of God. There is always bread mm-hmm. in the house of God. So he thinks, man, if there's still... My, my Most dad's people high. don't even know there's a famine in that story. No, they so. don't. Because nobody ever mentions <laughs> it's, it's not it. American. No, exactly. They're in the Middle East, guys. <laughs> okay. So he finally, long story short, goes home, prepares this whole speech, he, you know, he talks about, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. As soon as he tries to get his speech out, the dad basically is like, shut up. He, mu- he muffles his speech with his kisses. He muffles his speech with his embrace. He's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't care about your speech. Like, I don't want your resume. You know, I think that's what God's going to look at a lot of us when we get to heaven and say, like, we're going to get up there and be like, God, here's all, all the reasons you should let me in. I gave this. I served here. I went here. I denied myself that day. And God's like, shut up. Don't give me your resume. The only resume that got you in here is my son. And I can't wait to introduce you to him. Come on in here and enjoy your father's rest. Right. Come on. So the father muffles the son's speech and, you know, escorts him off to a dance floor. Right. To celebrate his return. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's an older brother who did not take the path the younger brother took. He's been working hard. He's diligent. He's he's, he's done he, the right. He's things. done the right right things, but his heart is far from the father. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, the older brother gets in a tirade upon hearing that his younger brother's been given a party, and he's making such a ruckus that the father leaves the party. Now, notice this: the father in the story got up off the porch and ran to the younger son. Yeah. But the right. father leaves the party to go to the older son. So whether you're on this end of the, the spectrum or you're this end of the spectrum, you're, you're, you're too bad or you're too good. The answer is still the same. Yeah. Jesus coming to you. So he leaves the, leaves the party, goes and speaks to the older brother and says, hey, like what's going on? The older brother you know, basically just yells for a long time. And the dad says, hey, you know, all this time you've been with me, everything that I have is yours, but we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. And so, and that's, in my opinion, that is the most profound story Jesus tells. How many of us, let's use him as a practical example. He just, you just made it to, you know, a little shameless plug. He just qualified for San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo, Houston Stock Show and Rodeo with his rope in. Big thing. Big Big deal. It's it's one of those things. It's like a stepping stone to where he wants to go. But like, let's say he just did that. And instead of me celebrating him, what does that benefit me? Exactly. That's exactly what he's doing. Because everyone is a pawn in my little game. Yeah. Everyone. And as soon as it's, one pawn does something I don't think is going to benefit me. Like what? That's true. Like, you like text me you're like, God. hey, did you get that VIP pass for hey, me? Like, like, did do, you I, get that? Do, do I get backstage with my video camera since you're in San Antonio? <laughs> like, what does this benefit me? Versus- it's because we are God. In our mind, we are sure. God. Yeah. You're supposed to be serving me. Right. Yeah, and, and you making that stock show and rodeo, the San Antonio stock show and rodeo, doesn't serve me. 
Right. So you, you're in rebellion. What are you doing? You're deviating from the plan. Yeah. I want to smite you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's because in, our, in the deep recesses of our soul, even though we would never vocalize it out loud, we are the God of our life. And when we recognize that, when we cannot celebrate what God is doing in somebody else's life, and you know, you may never write a check to my ministry with the earnings that you get from rodeoing, but I will still celebrate you all day long because I, it's not about me serving me. It's not about how does your life enrich my life. Mm-hmm. It's, man, I can't believe God would do that for you. That's incredible. Let me celebrate the heck out of that. You know, and then that allows you to really begin to open doors for people that you're never going to get to walk through. You know, just like the other day, we were kind of having a moment and, you know, I wanted you, you had a guy that you wanted to kind of get to know. And I was like, dude, I know him. Like, let me open yeah. the door. That may never that may never do anything for me, but I love you right. and I believe in you and I want to open a door for you. And I want to see I want to see God do incredible things through you. And my joy is watching God use you and watching mm-hmm. God open doors for you. And if I can be just a door holder in your life, then that is satisfying. Please, that is satisfactory. please share the door holder in the house of God. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So basically, there's this famous verse. David says this, I would rather be a door holder in the house of God <laughs> than, to be in the ten- than to dwell in the tents of the wicked, right? Most of us just think that's just some minuscule little deal. It's like a greeter at a church, no big deal. Like, hey, everybody, I'm not the, I don't have to be the pastor. I don't have to be on the platform. Yeah, I'd rather be on the serve team. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing David is, David is talking about meeting at a synagogue, right, with Jews. Jewish people, in order to be in covenant, had to be circumcised. Okay. So literally, the door holder's job at the, at, at, in the house of God, was to check if you were circumcised upon entering the house of God. He literally had to go, excuse me, sir. All right, you're good. Come on in. Oh, not you. You can come back later. There's a surgeon down the road. And so basically... There's a surgeon down the road. There's a surgeon down the road. You're welcome here. Just I got my old-timer pocket knife here. You know what I mean? We can fix this real quick. I, you look like you need to get in the presence of God. What did you say? He was the original pecker checker. <laughs> The original. So David is quite literally saying, I'd rather have to inspect men's genitalia than go spend one second in the in the tents of the wicked. And obviously there's nothing weird or nefarious about him saying that. He's saying, I'd rather have the lowest and most undesirable position in the church. Nobody wants to go around doing that. He said, I'd rather be doing that than to dwell in the tents of the wicked, you know? And I'd rather be a door holder in your life than to sit off and wickedly have these thoughts in my heart of why is God doing that for him and not me? You have no, and you also have no idea how down the line God could use somebody in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're cursing them now, but you want to take a selfie with them later because now they're playing, a pawn, they're being a pawn in your it's game. True. And that's, that's freaking wicked. It's not cool. It's true. <laughs> I, it's David true. had so much perspective. He was so mm-hmm. like, I think, uh, to me, he's the person who had the most New Testament revelation in the Old Testament. Yeah, because he understand he understood the mercy of God. Yeah, and he enjoyed the law. Yeah, how do you do that without having an understanding of of, of, of the New Testament God you, you, Messiah? Yeah. That's God that's vision. kind of it. It ties into what you're saying about the the girl that she's like. The there's woman. something more here. Mm-hmm. That David was totally knew. David. David knew because he knew God's heart, and he yeah. and he saw God's heart, and he's like, "There's something that." Like, 
God, God gave him the decision, hey, do you want, uh, I, I forgot what exactly it was, but it was like, there was two punishments. And David chose the one that he's like, you're not going to be able to be, go all the way through with this because you love me too much. Uh-huh. You, do you know which one I'm talking about? I, I, I know uh, what you're referring to. I sadly uh, don't have the entire Bible, Bible I, memorized. I'm, ter- I'm terrible about that. But I'm like, that, that guy had so much, like, he had so much for, foresight, I yeah. think, on, on what the, what you know, like, servanthood and and you know all those things i mean it's today crazy. we're no. we're looking oh we have jesus and we have the the canon the, the textual bible yeah. in our hands today we oh my gosh jesus is the fulfillment of every old testament prophet he's every the greater abraham one. the greater adam the greater yeah. noah yeah. the great but david prior to jesus ever like the significance of him understanding like there is like the coming of the messiah david's as close as we can get basically in the old testament to a a a Christological figure, right? Like he really is. And that's why, I mean, he wrote, not, everybody knows Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But they don't know the chapter before that, which is called the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22. And literally, go and read Psalm 22. It literally lists out, David is describing how his enemies are making him feel. And he's literally verbatim describing the crucifixion. Yeah. They pierce my hands and my wrists. Dogs encompass me. The, who, who encompassed Jesus? The Roman, um, the Roman executioners. Those are Gentiles, what the Jews called dogs, right? As we saw in the story, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I mean, there's so many things. And here's the crazy thing. I'm about to blow your flipping mind, <laughs> and I'm about to mess up your theology too real quick. David starts Psalm 22 with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it keeps going. We always quote Jesus as to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he did say that on the cross. But there, the scripture is very specific when Jesus quietly says something and when he loudly says something. Like when he says, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Or Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those were things he quite literally just said to the Father on the cross. Other times he raises his voice so the entire audience can hear because there were Jewish scholars, Sadducees, Pharisees that were there present because they were the ones that you know warranted the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because they have Psalm 22 memorized. He's trying to get the wheels in their head to turn. It's almost this as is when if, he's on the cross. Yes, this is when he's on the cross. It's almost as if, like, you know, when I could say the first line of a song, and you could take the song. You could finish it. You know, if I go, don't right. stop, you go, Believe come on. I just say one God line. Out. Hold on to that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was R&B Street remix right there. That was over to R&B there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I could say one line of a song, and you could take off with it. That's just... The yeah. Psalms are songs, right? Yeah. This is essentially what Jesus is doing. He's trying to get the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who know this book inside and out, he's saying, you're murdering the one that you've been waiting on. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to get the wheel to turn. And guess where Psalm 22 ends? It starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And eventually you keep reading, he says, he has not forsaken. He has not scorned. He has not turned his back. We all think that God quite literally turned his back on Jesus on the cross. He was, he did not. God was there co-suffering 
with Christ. There yeah. are three crosses on the hill of Golgotha on purpose. You think that's accidental that Jesus died next to two thieves and that the silhouette of Golgotha is three crosses? It's to scream, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are all here. This is how we pursue humanity. There, It may be physically in the body of Jesus, but we are all present here. This is all of our heart. Jesus mm. didn't, you know, w- lose a game of dice and have to be the th- one out of the three of us who went and suffered. We <laughs> all are here. And what you're saying, provide more con- when he was on the cross and said, why God, my, why, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't him actually crying no, out. No, he was not saying, God's forsaken me. Yeah. So many people think, and I used to preach it like this before I realized I was wrong. Um, but man, God had to forsake Jesus so he would never have to forsake you, I've heard that. which is redemptive and it's graceful. And if you're going to preach heresy, I prefer you preach that heresy because it's still <laughs> at least in, in line with the heart of God. But it is off, you know, because Jesus told the disciples this, all of you are going to leave me. But even though you leave me, the father will never leave me. Yeah. So if we I preach mean, yeah. that, if we preach that God forsook Jesus on the cross, right. we are making Jesus a liar or we are right. making him mistaken because he declared, though you all leave, the father will never leave me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for us to understand God's relationship with Jesus is the perfect depiction of our relationship exactly. with him. So if he's like that with, uh, with him, then why, you know, it's going to, that would slightly taint our view of, of who God is to Jesus, right? Exactly. And we know that. The way that God looks at us now in the new covenant is as if we were Jesus. Right, even for sure. We didn't deserve it. You know what I mean? No, so. for sure. Because we are made in his image. I mean, that's why, you know, the Pharisees and stuff come up to Jesus and they're trying to trap him. They go, you know, how much are we supposed to give to Caesar? And Jesus asks for a coin. He says, whose image is stamped on here? It was obviously Caesar's mm-hmm. image. He says, it's Caesar's. And he's like, well, render unto Caesar when he, but he what belongs to... But he found the fish and the, the coins in a fish's mouth, which is <laughs> right, crazy. Right, pretty crazy. But he says, whose image is stamped on here? Yeah. Well, give it to whose image it bears. Mm-hmm. Give unto God what belongs to God. He's talking about images being stamped. He's saying, yeah. where is God's image stamped? Yeah. On you. On you. Yeah. Give coins to Caesar. That's where his image is stamped. Yeah, give your yourselves to the Lord. For you are the image of Christ. You are made in his image. <laughs> I'm going to sip my tea. Sip. sip my tea and count to three. <laughs> and I'll let you, this is a, a launching pad for a topic. Go for it. <laughs> we will never defeat sin until we become absolutely disgusted by that sin. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what he says. Mm-hmm. He's saying walk in the spirit. He doesn't say walk in the spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Yeah. As if, God, I'm I'm holding on to your hand and I'm fighting the enemy over here. <laughs> He's saying, no, just literally grab <laughs> onto the hand of the Holy Spirit yeah. and you just won't have time for that. Because what sure. I've learned is this, a yes to the Lord is a no to the enemy. And many of us are getting, exactly, many of us are getting so tired of having to say no to the enemy, no to the enemy, and we forget, if I'll just focus on saying yes to God, focus on saying yes to God's plan, my yes to him is a no to the enemy. My yes to Beth Clark was a no to every other woman. I don't have to go around to each one and go, no, 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 (laughs) no, because my yes to her was a no to all of them. I yeah. said no to 8 billion other women. Well, they're not 8 billion, about, but you understand. Yeah. If there were, I said <laughs> no to 8 billion other women when I said yes to that one. Because yeah. my yes is a no to everything else. Yeah, I was going to say there's two parts to that. Yes, we can't have an enjoyment for sin, but 
even having not an even having no enjoyment for sin isn't enough, right? In Romans, it talks about uh, Romans is it Probably seven f- talking about I do the sin I don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not I that do it, but sin in me, sin, sin that dwells within me yeah. that causes me to do it. What is that? That means that law, the law weakened by the flesh, causes us to continue in sin. So even if I don't like that I'm that I'm struggling with uh, sexual immorality, mm-hmm. that's not enough. Right. It's understanding the grace is fully sufficient, and I need no more works to 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 grow past that, right? Right. Yeah. So disliking it, it isn't enough by itself. Do what? It comes down to identity. Yes. Oh, Every, absolutely. Everything. Everything is about identity. Every battle you will ever face in life as a whole, but especially your walk with God, everything comes back to identity. That's mm-hmm. why Jesus was able to walk it perfectly. He was convinced. Even we see it as early as 12 years old. I'm like, they, they question, why, did, why didn't you stay with us? Mary and Joseph are asking, we've been searching frantically with you for you. Why weren't you with us? He said, don't you know I must be in my father's house, be about my father's business? Yeah. From an early age, he knew this is who I am. So the question we have to ask is, you know, doing follows being. Right. You know, the old saying, you're, you know, you're a human being, you know not a human doing. Doing falls being. That's why I've been trying to. Oh, it's it's like yeah. Paul says this in Acts twenty seven. He's talking to the people that are stuff. on the ship with him, and he says, "The God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, yes, came and spoke to me." He that that order is strategic. He yep. said, "The God to whom I belong and to whom I serve," because yep. his serving was a f- outer flow. It was it was a it was an overflow of his being of his belonging. We yeah. belong to God long before we believe it or even behave like it. We are created in his image. And I honestly think every battle with sin is won in the arena of identity. And for me to be really practical, to my first full circle, power is perfecting a weakness. God literally right. says in Paul that honestly it made me think about you, what you said about in the last podcast about having to do uh, the, the revelations. Like you get these revelations, yeah. but stewarding them the yeah, correct way. Them, yeah. And in the beginning of that verse, God, uh, Paul says, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh so he wouldn't become boastful of his revelations. Yeah. I think that's what it says. Something to that effect. Yeah. Anyways, that made me think about you. No, but, I think um, that's powerful. Anyways, I'd never, talking about literally the most practical sense, the only way I've ever defeated sin, defeated temptation is verbally, not just like understanding in theory, like powers perfected in my weakness, yeah. verbally saying, God, like I actively am weak right now. I'm actively struggling right now mm-hmm. and vocalizing that to God and through prayer to when God's power rests yeah. and like moves. And my like very practical in the last three to four months, like I've seen a, I've sometimes I've, I've struggled hearing the voice of God or seeing God move practically. I've seen it in the long stretch of my life, mm. but like in the day to day, but yeah. I've actually seen in the last couple of months, him actually me praying him move within the same instant. Yeah. Well, and I would say this to anybody, faith has to first move your mouth before it can move your mountain. You, you've got to say it. It's not one of those things like faith is not expressed in the quiet little thoughts that we think. And I mean, I do think that is an element of faith, but everything comes back to speaking, how you talk. I mean, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't come by thinking. It doesn't come by meditation. It doesn't come by any of those things. It comes by hearing. And the person you listen to most is you. I tell young people all the time, I am not the preacher you listen to most. 
Stephen yeah. Furtick is not the preacher you listen to most. Mike Todd is not the preacher you listen to most. Yeah. You are the preacher you listen to most. Mm-hmm. Are the sermons you're preaching to yourself heresy? Can the Holy Spirit amen the things you are preaching to yourself? Yep. And if not, you need to unsubscribe from your own podcast. Start saying something completely different. <laughs> Start preaching a new sermon amen. and be biblical. It was something I've been talking with Cole. I wanted to do a little series on it. It was something to the tune of what you said, doing versus being. Mm-hmm. And this is a scripture that that really like sank in me the last couple of days. It says, uh, Romans 6, 12, and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life to death and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what that told me was, in order to not let sin reign in your mortal body, what do you do? Do you do something or do you present? Mm. Do you understand that this is, it's an understanding, not a way, a doing. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a revelation, yeah. right? It's present yourselves to God, to God as those who have been brought from dead to life. Like mm-hmm. d- it doesn't say, here am so I. Here, it, it doesn't say, here's this tightrope. And I've set these things you have to do when you, you need to walk all the way across the tightrope. It's, I've already come across the tightrope for you, and yeah. now I'm with you, come right? On. Now you understand the way the way of being, and that is what sets you free. It's yeah. not doing something. It's it's understanding, and, and it's, a, it's a, like I said, a revelation. Yeah. And, so. and I think there there's practicalities, like especially for yes. somebody who is yes. like a very black and white analytical person, you're like, Okay, so I just need to like get myself into this like it's more of like a state of mind. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. Like okay, That's like it's very self-helpish, you know, right? Yeah, there. like, like state of mind, like gurui, yeah. which is right. is what you're saying is 100 percent right. I aim in it to the nth degree, right. right? But there are black and white things, and I think this is one of the things we have really missed. You know, and I say it all the time because I believe it that God is about a relationship not about a religion. Yes. But in our ability to no longer be religious, we kicked out not our religious motive, we kicked out religious practices, right. as in reading the Bible. So I used to read the Bible because it was you know my attempt to be religious, so now I'm not going to read the Bible. You right. know, I yep. used to pray me, me because and, I yeah. was doing it to be religious, so now I'm not going to pray because yep. God's about a relationship. Reading the Bible wasn't what you needed to kick out, bro. Yeah. Like, prayer was not what you needed to kick out. Your motive was what you needed to change. Exactly. Why you were doing it. And we have people who are weak, anemic Christians yes. because they've quit going to the gym of prayer. They've quit going to the gym of basic daily Bible reading when the dopamine isn't flowing, but it's just like, you know what, God, this is where I'm at in my Bible reading today. You matter to me, so I'm showing up. Yep. And if I get the goosebump, great. But if I don't, yeah. I'm just trying to be faithful. This yes. matters to me. I don't just come to my wife because, you know, I, we can be intimate. If I only came to my wife for intimacy, how would that make her feel? Mm-hmm. Make her feel horrible. It would make her feel like an, an item. It would make her feel like a, yeah. like a thing, not my wife. I come to my wife because it's, she's the one I'm doing life with. And in yeah. the moments when we are duking it out and we're having to get through something— those moments I'm fully there, and in moments where it's 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 pure bliss and intimacy, and I'm like, oh right. my gosh, you know this is amazing. I'm fully in those moments, but I'm you fully see the, in it all. You see the point talking about the activity, the the Pharisee praying when he loves to hear people hear him, mm-hmm. and then the I don't know what his title was, but the 
I don't know, it was the worker or whoever was beating his chest. Mm-hmm. God, woe is me, I think he said, or something like that, yeah. like like draw near to me versus, like this is the same activity, mm-hmm. but the different motive. Motive And you off. see yeah. it, two, two perfect examples. Last, are you going to say something? Well, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think it's a great point that it propels off of each other, right? Yeah. Once you have come to that understanding and being, that's going to propel you into doing, and yeah. then the doing is going to propel you more into being, because... Obviously, people think that—that's a mind. That's a mind that, uh, yeah, it is. People think that you know. There's a scripture uh, that says the the law, which was actually preached on our podcast. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> but the law kills. I'm mm. sorry, but the the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Right. Ministry of death in, is what it calls in it. The, yeah. In the context of that scripture is not that the Bible kills. Right. It's that. It's that. It kills whenever it's weakened by the flesh or just like the law weakened by the flesh, right? Whenever you read it without the Spirit's understanding, mm-hmm. then you misinterpret it, and then it's religion, yes. right? So if you don't understand your new way of being, which means if I don't understand that I'm right with God and now what I do is unto Him, then whenever I go to my Bible and I'm looking for help for myself, mm-hmm. I'm always going to be left wanting, mm-hmm. always going to be left like uh, like you say, you know, I didn't get those goosebumps today. It's like, yeah. that's not the purpose. That's not mm-hmm. the point. Once you step into that way of, of knowing and who you are, yeah. then it's, it's, that matters so much less. You know, it all that. Does. You, you, you don't have to, God doesn't have to convince you anymore. Yeah. Like you're, you're not in the dating stage anymore. Like he, he you, you know, mm-hmm. you know each other now and you know what he thinks of you and you know, you know his heart for him, mm-hmm. like his heart for you. I mean, so. No, I, I fully agree. And I think, you know, <clears throat> one of the scriptures I think so many people misunderstand. Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I read that with a manipulative tone for so long. It's almost like your your mom going, if you loved me, you'd clean your room. Yeah. You know, that whole like, you want to show me you love me? Go clean your room, slugger. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not that. Jesus is not doing the whole, you know, manipulative deal. If you really love me, Peter, you'd keep my room. He's going... If you'd focus on loving me, you'll naturally begin to keep yep. my commandments. Yep. Loving me is what leads you to keeping commandments, not trying your darndest and hardest Absolutely. to just grit your teeth and yes. keep the commandments in your own power. It is you by osmosis loving on me and then my power being made perfect in that weakness yep. and overcoming that shortcoming you could not overcome, but you've now been able to overcome just by loving on me. It's beautiful what you just said. And I've personally experienced this numerous times reading a scripture and it offending me because I have a different I'm reading it with a different tone of voice than the God intended it to be read the in. Bible needs emojis that's all I'm gonna say that's the really Bible like... needs emojis it would help me so much this a little bit of bible. can you imagine the emoji bible just a little bit of expression so we can get a vibe like, for what's like Jesus here. were you smiling did you <laughs> like, have the sunglasses did you have a little smirk was this the like, upside down face like you, you serpents is that a joke is that yeah a, is this like <laughs> Wink, wink, you know, like little tongue winky action. I don't know what this is. Like scubala, when Paul says that his works are scubala, I can just see the is little that... poop emoji. You know what I mean? Just like, it would be great. Oh last last question. This is my last topic, launching pad. Uh, shout out Hunter Rom. Is that how you say his last name? Yeah. I, he posted something. I just started following him. And he posted a little thing about roping, and he was put, putting some Bible verses in the caption. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit how he lives in our gut and our soul. And mm. the way I was reading into that is like when hearing the voice of God, 
Like, you, like I just listen to my gut. I have that gut feeling, that hunch, right? Yeah. And it was just a really interesting way to put how the Holy Spirit can speak to people. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um, Jesus, whenever the Bible says that he looked on somebody with compassion, like he would see somebody hurting, mm-hmm. and it would say, and he felt compassion. That word compassion is the word uh, splugnizomai, splugnizomai. And what it literally means when you translate it is his stomach began to hurt. Yeah. Like my stomach mm-hmm. turned when I saw that. And yeah. that was what he took as the Holy Spirit's telling me to do something here. Holy Spirit wants to move in this young man's life. I looked at you and I felt that gut feeling. That's literally what Jesus is saying. Splugnizomai. My guts, my gut feels funny. I'm going to step in here. And so I think you're right. Like, I mean, we, we, we think that the Holy Spirit can move, only move in these certain moments, like very religious settings, yeah. like I need stained glass steeples, you know, the, the whole nine yards. Yeah. When sometimes, you know, my wife, she is incredibly prophetic, but she second guesses herself sometimes because it didn't feel like a thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like the Lord literally spoke this to me. I had a audible voice speak to me or a literal dream where an angelic figure, you know, appeared and told me to do this. It's just like, I somehow, I somehow know this. I somehow feel this. And sometimes it feels feels like, yeah, it feels like me. I mean, the book of Acts says this, it like at one point, uh, Luke who writes the book of Acts, he says, it seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit to go here. Like (laughs) it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. Like we think the Holy Spirit told us to do it. You know, like, I guess seeing, we're just going to go seeing, for it. Seeing the way, was it Peter with the pork? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing the way that whole thing went about, I'm like... Acts 10? I, like, with the, the whole hilarious. sheet being so let like, down? Okay, Acts is such a good representation of our lives now because it's like, you think it's just a clear-cut, obvious... Yeah, they, no. they give so much so much more, like, Philip, and, and whenever mm-hmm. he was... Ethiopian eunuch. You know, all these, like... like just kind of like, oh, I think he's. I think we're well, going this way. And the crazy thing about Philip is Philip was in the middle of a city-wide revival. Like, he's literally in the middle of this crazy revival. I don't know about you, but if my city was in revival, I would not want to leave. I'd be no. like, yo, God, we are staying here. This is where the presence <laughs> is flowing. And then the Lord leads him out into the middle of nowhere, down this road, where there's an Ethiopian eunuch reading the scriptures. Philip runs alongside the chariot. The guy, he hears him reading. I think it's out of the book of Isaiah. And he's like, do you know what you're reading? He's like, how can I know unless somebody interprets? Philip jumps in there, interprets it to him, leads the man to the Lord, then baptizes him. Then the crazy thing is this. He literally gets translated. Yeah. He literally gets, uh, what's the word? Teleported. Teleported. He literally gets teleported from that moment and then placed in some other place. But had he not been willing to leave what looked like the cool revival moment and follow the Spirit almost into the wilderness— he would have never met that eunuch, and Evangelist. he would have never been teleported. Yep. He's the only dude yep. to get teleported. Yeah, We have a beautiful picture that we get to see of how faithfulness leads to fruit. Yeah. Abraham's faithfulness led to almost sacrificing his son Isaac, which led to God moving with the ram. Yeah. We get to see the full picture with the Bible we have today, but sometimes that makes us have an unrealistic expectation of what our walk of faithfulness will be like Mm -hmm. because all these people in the bible we don't take into account i had this revelation to myself when i was looking at david i don't remember specifically what david was doing but david i think was one of the times he was like running from someone who was running from somebody they were trying to kill him right running from saul and i didn't take into account 
the fear factor, the factors of uncertainness, because I already knew the ending of the story. Right. So when we look at our fit, like talking about Kenyan Vision podcasts, like oh we have the, the, like we have these goals, these dreams, uh, where we have you have church visions with this or this person is trying to get married to this person. Any sort of we don't it, it sometimes it hurts a little bit more and it's a little bit more challenging. Yeah. And we wonder right. why it's so challenging. Yeah. But that's how it was for all the biblical characters going through it because that is the faithfulness talking about along the lines of the dopamine like you know how people say trust the process yeah the the, the dopamine you train your brain your brain to release dopamine in the process not achieving something right that is a a copyright version of resting in the presence yeah so true so no i think you're spot on and like what you're that was kind of a bar <laughs> that was a bar but to what you're saying david when he was living it out didn't know he was david you know, yeah. he knew he knew he knew his name was David. Don't get right, me wrong, right. but he did not know it was a self awareness. I'm David. There wasn't self. Like, I'm the dude yeah. they're still talking about in 2022 on the Kingdom Vision podcast. Like, yeah. uh, like uh, there, uh, I've my uh, my accomplishments have crossed an entire ocean, let alone generations, to where I'm still relevant today. He didn't know that. He's just daring to trust God. Abraham didn't know I'm freaking Abraham. You know, yeah. Samson didn't know I'm Samson. They were just doing their darndest to trust God in their day. Yeah. And God was the one who All breathed this spirit on it and said, okay, where you trusted me, I'm now going to make that moment. That was it. Where you trusted me in time, I'm now going to make that moment timeless. Their future generations are going to mm. just rave over what you're doing because you were just faithful in the time that I gave you. That's good. Can you put me through a coaching system of how to make alliterations like in oh the moment? <laughs> because you've you dropped like twenty just alliterate time timeless. I it just pops in my head. Why did you notice I stopped and I rephrased it because oh, I was yeah. like timeless. I was like, okay, if let, I'm gonna use timeless, let me say time. So I like backed it up and did. It. <laughs> like uh, last podcast, you said something along the lines of, yeah, "Let me put it this way." It's like when you when you when it clicks, it kind of clicks. Yeah, you, you stop and you start over. Yeah, and you start from the beginning. Yeah, I feel like we've we've covered some really good stuff. I mean, like, and yeah, I just want to let lot. you. Go. I just again, I feel myself like getting a little bit emotional here, and that only happens whenever I truly feel the spirit. But guys, I hope you know how much the Lord is with you. On both of you, man. Thank you. I just really hope you know that. Thank His you. hand is upon you. And, you know, the, the book of Ezekiel is so powerful. Ezekiel 43, God is giving Ezekiel a blueprint of how to build the temple, and he tells him to use a cubit, but he, he changes the cubit. A cubit tip, typically is six hand breaths. You know, so it's really, this is a cubit, it's six hand breaths. And then he says this, at the end of that cubit, add another hand breath. He's saying, leave room for my hand. The cubit's not done until the seventh hand has come. And really what I'm trying to say is I feel the seventh hand of God on what y'all are doing. Mm. I feel that you are giving it your all. You're giving it your six hand breaths. You're giving it everything that you got, but God's going to put a secret sauce on it. And you guys are doing your favors some favors. You guys are stepping in. And I just want to say, like, just as an older brother, just as a person who's looking in from the outside at what y'all are doing, I know, like, I've been a recipient of being able to be on here and stuff like that. Um, but I want you to know the Lord is, is heavily upon this. And mm. you you guys are going to reach, you guys are already, just even after the last episode, reaching the ends of the earth. I mean, people from all over the world watch that episode. Mm. And that is the first fruits of many. 
That's just the first fruits. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with me bringing my influence to the table. You, There is something. Well. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I, I, I'm honored no, to I... get to help and like help be kind of a catalytic deal for that. But there's a grace on this that can sustain right. long after Keenan Clark has come and gone. There's something special on this. And so don't ever give up. The third mic was a great investment. We're going to need more. Um, I'm just very proud of y'all. And Man, so I dude. feel that heavy. So We're, we're so, uh, like, me and Cole talked a lot. Like, we can't, you know, we've tried to put into words. Like, we're just so thankful, you know. I mean, we, we see, and, like, something we've talked about is the example that you're being to us and making sure that we remember that you know, wherever we get to that, we remember the example that you brought to us well, thank you, man. so that whatever point we're at, we're always going to be helping the people that are obviously far below us in influence or anything else. Right. And like, we look at, up to you and what you're doing. And I just think it, you know, you talk about blueprint, like it's such a, you're showing us how, how to be. And Amen. I think that thank you, man. we couldn't be more thankful. Like, thank you, bro. It means you know, a lot. I think, be. you know, one of my big frustrations with a lot of the guys who have made it, you know, so to speak in the ministry world, they have a lot mm-hmm. of influence. God has opened great doors is they quickly get to this. Oh, I got to now preserve this. Right. And they, they stop looking for the next, right. you know, and you know, if the guys above me are too self-absorbed to look at who's God is raising up next, then they're not willing to give me a leg up. I am not going to make the same mistake. I right. am not going to allow Saul's discrepancies to turn me into a Saul. I'm going to try to stay David, if that makes sense. Not calling myself David. I understand all you heresy hounds. Jesus is the true David. But, um, <laughs> but heresy I w- hounds. That's a good one. I've heard that one before. <laughs> heresy hounds. But I, I want to reach back. Ends, these one-liners. It, it never ends. It is a bottomless pit. <laughs> um, but I really do want to reach back and say, hey. Uh, and, and that's what I love. You guys are both, in, in a sense, from San Angelo. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I want, you know, I believe God has something special here. God is raising up people out of the, the Nazareths of the world to, you know, I don't think that the, the most, I don't, exactly, the sticks. I don't believe that the most brilliant preachers are in the most prominent cities, you know, the New Yorks, the LAs, the Miamis. I believe they are faithfully stewarding their flock. And mm-hmm. you know what? Eventually, God's going to bring them out. And they're going to pass that flock on to somebody just yep. like David did, and they're going to step into the fullness of everything God has for them. But right now, we're getting good with our sling and our stone, and come uh, on, baby, and just wait till, wait till the world sees. You know, Saul is slain his thousands, but Kingdom Vision Podcast is slain its tens of thousands. Oh, <laughs> dropping bars. <laughs> well, give, give this man a follow. You don't know what plug his Instagram right now. I was my bad. I put the little graphic. Oh, I'm gonna put totally you a little. Fine. I'm him a little Instagram graphic. Give him a follow. Run up the numbers, show them some love on Instagram, YouTube. But yeah, thank you all for watching, and we'll see y'all in the next episode. Thank you, brother. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me, bro. I think that was longer than last time. Oh, without definitely. a doubt. It was about an hour and 15. Oh, I guarantee it. Easy.